This episode of the QA is brought to you by Lucky Shot. It is the end of the month, which means it is QA time, and I do want to thank you for tuning in. My name is Dave Tim from Guns and Tactics, and that's right, this is also the last QA of calendar year 2021. This is the December 2021 edition of the QA. Before we get started, if you want to see your question on the show, the best way is to email us. That email address is shown below, theqa at gunsandtactics.com. I do appreciate it. If you're a new viewer, if you hit that subscribe button, like, join the community, or you can also find this wherever you get your podcasts. I know a lot of you guys have said that they really enjoy the QA, listening to it while they're on the road, so we're making that a little easier for you, and we are now uploading it to popular podcast platforms in an audio only version. So that's great. Now, every now and again, I do incorporate like a visual image or a video clip or something like that, but uh, I think you guys will get the gist of it via audio only. But for those of you guys that are new, this is our monthly series where we answer your questions. For those of uh, you that are return viewers, which again, that's a loyal small following, I do appreciate it. And I always do look forward to some of the messages and emails that I get uh, that aren't even questions, but just kind of, you know, some messages and comments back and forth. I do always appreciate that. And being that this is the last one of the uh, December, you know, season, I figured I would take one last opportunity to take advantage of having my Christmas tree. We're actually taking it down this week, but I figured before I did, I might as well do one last hurrah. Before we get started, I do have a couple of uh, holiday dad jokes for you that you can share for next year, even though I realize I probably should have put this out before Christmas. But uh, anyways, how much did Santa have to pay when he went to buy his sleigh? Nothing, because it was on the house. Okay. What do the little helpers of Santa learn when they first go to school? The elf, a bet. All right, I'll, I'll stop. I'll move on. We have a bunch of questions. Uh, this is probably going to be a little longer of an episode just because we have so many questions, which is great. So it's always awesome to see the segment grow. Uh, so some of the stuff might be a little bit more abbreviated just to kind of save overall time. But if you have a follow-up question or want to see something more in detail, please send an email, send a message, and maybe that can be its own show. We've turned several questions into their own videos, kind of diving deeper on the topic. And I think a couple of these might turn into that too. So let's get right into it. This first one is from Paul. Just finished watching the November QA. Appreciate it. I was looking at training course that about 1,500 miles away where I live and runs for four days. Can you explain and provide some guidelines on traveling with firearms and ammo? Do I ship the ammo, guns, or fly with them, respectively, Paul? Great question. And this, I think, will turn into its own video. There are some resources I'm pretty sure out there. But speaking from experience as a guy who has flown uh, dozens of flights in the last year plus, traveling to uh, teach classes with firearms and ammo, uh, it has become kind of a an industry, uh, it has kind of become a, a topic of uh, relevance for me as I've experienced all sorts of different things, flying out of small airports, big airports, layovers, uh, flight changes, whatever, uh, definitely has kind of learned, uh, I've learned a lot flying with various guns. So here's what I could tell you. Uh, number one, I fly with my firearms and then I fly with a limited amount of ammunition. Check with the carrier to see what their ammunition limits are. Yes, there are TSA and FAA regulations, but sometimes it's best just to go with a specific carrier, but generally there is a ammunition limit. So that is the limiting factor. So for classes where I know that I'm going to be needing more ammunition than that, 
I will make arrangements ahead of time, either as a trainer, I'll make arrangements with the host to have ammunition there for me, or if I'm a student, I'll make arrangements with the host or instructor and ship my ammunition ahead of time. So ammunition is big, it's heavy, it's bulky. That generally would be shipped. However, the firearm, I do fly with my firearms. I have a locking hard case, and like I said, we'll do probably its own video on this, but it needs to be locked without TSA locks. That's the key. No one should have access to that contents of the case except for you with the presence of a TSA agent. Other things that I do to make my life a little easier when I travel is I have my name and phone number right on the hard case. So that way, in case there is ever an issue, they can call me to get access with a key or anything like that. But generally speaking, the short version is I go there, I say, hey, I'm declaring a firearm, I have a locked hard case. Um, some airports want you to go over to a certain screening area and then show that the firearm is unloaded and then they screen it, go from there. Other ones don't want you to touch it, they just basically inspect it, verify that it's locked, whatever. Some of the bigger airports with their fancier x-ray machines, they didn't, have, didn't even have me open up the case. Smaller airports had me open up the case, they do a hand inspection that generally you're there to witness. They look, make sure everything's unloaded. They give you the declared firearms unloaded tag. You lock it with your locks and then you move on. Uh, so always arrive a little early, no matter what, when you're flying, it's always a good idea, but especially with firearms, uh, because when I was, I wanna say it was out of Seattle, uh, SeaTac Airport when I flew out of there, uh, my flight was at this gate, but where I, when I got there, the only place that was available to check in a firearm was all the way over here at this other end of the airport. It literally was a half hour um, of just walking back and forth, not to mention the amount of time that I was spending in the line and everything like that. So it was well over an hour to get checked in with my firearms, uh, and that was cutting it close, so I don't recommend doing that. But uh, don't be afraid to reach out to some of the local, you know, locals at that airport and say, hey, I'm flying out of this airport, anything I need to know? Because sometimes if I would have known that, hey, I need to check my gun in over here, I would have went there and then walked to my gate versus whatever else, but uh, anyways, that's kind of the short version. The other thing that I do always recommend is if you can fly business class, comfort class, or first class, oftentimes the baggage fees are less. So I've been flying first class a lot lately because coach, let's just say, was 600 bucks. But by the time I pay my baggage fees for my checked luggage with all my clothes and gear, and then my checked firearm case both ways, because you get charged both ways, uh, the luggage fees was an extra $300, let's say. Well, first class was only $800, and you get two free checked bags. So not only am I saving $100, but I've also found when you fly first class, if you are overweight, they tend to, not talking this, even though COVID, but if your luggage is overweight, they tend to give you a little bit more of a variance as well. So one time I packed a little bit too much ammo and I was at 55 pounds. Because I was flying first class, they're like, yeah, no worries, we'll give it to you. So they do treat you better. And then on top of that, you do get to go through uh, the lines quicker. So like normally when you're going through TSA, there's like the regular line and then there's like Advantage Plus or First Class or whatever, and you get to go to the head of the line. That is a huge time saver as well. So don't be afraid to look at those first class rates, especially once you compare luggage and everything else. So that's a great question. Um, like I said, I think a, a good video topic on its own because I've, I've flown so much and I've learned a lot of things as far as even streamlining packing and everything like that. So great question. I'm looking for a good flashlight for my rifle, looking at the Streamlit, Streamlight Protac HL 1000 Lumen. Do you have a recommendation? Uh, this is from Derek. Yeah, the Streamlight stuff, bang for the buck, the Protac is actually really good lights. I have uh, both the two battery version, I think they could call it like the 2L or the 2 Protac 2, 
Great light, I wanna say it's around like six, 700 lumens, but the throw on it is actually pretty solid. I also do have the 1000 lumen version, and in some ways I actually prefer the six, 800 lumen version because I think it has more of a spot beam versus a flood beam. The 1000 lumen version is a little bit more floody than I'd like for a rifle light, uh, but for bang for buck, they are great lights. You're not gonna beat them for the money. In my opinion, if you're on a budget and need a, a budget rifle light, Streamlight is the way to go. Now, if you can spend a little bit more money uh, save up a little bit more. You can get some really good deals on the used market, like a Arasaka 18650 light, which I will have a video coming out on that soon. Awesome light, I love those lights. Mod light makes a great light, Cloud makes a great light. And again, even in the used market, you can find really good lights. Otherwise, you can also find a used Surefire light and look at an aftermarket light head, either from Mod Light or Malkoff devices to get more light output. It's not just about the lumens, it's also about the candela. So we're not talking about just the brightness, but we're, what we're doing with that brightness as well. This next question is from Mark. Do you know if I can change the receiver bolt assembly to a different magwell? My gun has a side bolt release and this mag is discontinued. It's a Savage 111. I will be upfront with you that is not my area of expertise. Uh, I would check out something online like a Savage uh, owner's forum or a Savage shooting forum, things like that or maybe check out to see if there is a different stock or chassis available. Generally, the chassis is gonna be what holds the magazine and the mag well, and that might give you some different options. So KRG does make some stuff for certain Savage models. I'm not sure if it's like a hunting style of gun that you have or a precision rifle, but uh, I would definitely check some of that out. So if you need to give me a little bit more info as far as like what you're going from caliber wise, whatever, I can maybe help you out and do a little bit more research. But without knowing short action, long action, kind of caliber, what style of gun it is, uh, I don't have enough information to really make a solid recommendation, but I would definitely reach out to some of like the, I think there was even a forum called like Savage Shooters uh, or something similar to that. And that might be a good resource as well. And they might know some of the aftermarket products. So great, uh, great question. Sorry, I couldn't be more helpful. This next one is from Mitch. And he has questions about gas blocks. Got an upper with an A2 style pinned gas block in front sight, that's the old traditional post. And he wants to do a free float handguard, thus he needs a low profile gas block. Here's three questions are, are there any low pro gas blocks that are pre-drilled? Are there any clamp-ons that are reliable? Or is there a third option? Um, so low pro, yes there are but they're not pre-drilled. So, and then the clamp-on, yes there are, and there is other options. So let's get through it real quick. Those A posts have two pins that are drilled and then taper reamed. So it's a taper pin, which is kind of like a cone shape that holds that in place. You're not gonna find a gas block that's gonna line up to those holes. It's just not gonna happen. Uh, everyone is a little different, they're off a little bit. Once a gas block is pinned, it's married to that and you're not gonna be able to recreate that easily. I mean, technically it could probably be done, but it's, it's hard. So here's some options. Midwest Industries does make a low profile gas block that is lengthened to cover that space because a lot of those barrels, when you take that front sight post off, the Parker, uh, they're not parkerized under there, so it's bare metal, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, so we do have some options. Midwest Industries makes ones with three set screws that's actually longer that will cover up that section of gas block and then you can have it drilled and dimpled. Uh, um, sorry, the dog here. Uh, or what you could do, a great option, would be to have a gunsmith cut that front post off and turn it into a low profile gas block. I'll show you a picture of that. I've done that for a few different um, customers and it works out really, really well. 
It uh, is a very robust gas block because it's still pinned in with those two taper pins. In essence, we're just carving down that material to now make that into a low profile gas block. So that would be an option. Uh, shops are generally gonna charge probably around 60 to 80 bucks for that. Uh, I would love to offer the work for you, but right now I am kind of swamped, so you'd be waiting a little bit if you sent it to my shop, but that's what I would do. If it was me and I wanted a low-profile, sturdy, rock-solid gas block, I would cut it and make a low-profile gas block out of your existing front sight post. All right, one more question before we take our break. What rifle and caliber is the one with the scope on it who makes the rings? Do you have a line on online store, things like that? Uh, so he's referring to my tracked four and a half to 30 scope review. You can check that video out up there, which is an amazing precision rifle scope. The first gun that I'll show on the screen here is a Lone Peak action that was done by TS Customs in a uh, Matrix chassis by MPA, and that's a 6.5 Creedmoor. So that was the centerfire rig that I was running at the time. And then other guns in the video was a Voodoo V22, which you can check out my video on the Voodoo V22 up in the card there. Uh, but I ran it on both guns. Both guns are awesome precision, both a centerfire and a rimfire gun. But uh, I really do like the scope. I still think that scope, bang for buck, really does swing it out of its class. It competes with scopes that are far more expensive. Uh, but yeah, and then as far as the rings, I got those also from Tracked Optics. They're made, uh, I believe, by IOTA or IOT uh, company, and then uh, they match that. I, I do some sales, but I don't promote that or whatever, but I would just highly recommend uh, checking out like TS Customs for a custom centerfire gun or build your own. You can check out how to build your own precision rifle there. And then there's uh, Rainier Arms has a lot of good stuff too. Otherwise, Tracked, you have, do have to get direct, but you can use my code or link, which you can see down in the description. So good question there. Now, before we get into Kevin's questions and a few others, we are going to take a break and thank our sponsor. Lucky Shot brings us this episode of the QA, and we're thankful for their support. They are supplying the prize. That's right. One lucky question asker gets a prize courtesy of Lucky Shot. Lucky Shot makes a lot of unique drinkware, glassware, and cool gift items for the firearm enthusiast in your life, or maybe something for yourself. Didn't get what you want in your stocking or under the tree? Head on over to Lucky Shot, use the coupon code shown on the screen, save yourself a little bit of cash and order something for yourself. Maybe someone has a birthday coming up, Valentine's Day, graduations are right around the corner before we know it, so it's not a bad time to stock up on some cool gifts, or like I said, get something for yourself. Thanks again to Lucky Shot for supporting this episode of the QA. We are back. Kevin has a bunch of questions, so uh, we're gonna kinda get right to it. What are some of the checklist items for a new AR owner to go over? So their AR, uh, first AR class can be productive. A lot of them, he said, aren't zeroed, aren't running, whatever. Uh, that should probably be its own video in and of itself. But yes, everything should be properly installed. Thread locking compound, witness marks, function checks, and then there should be proper zero as well as a uh, endurance, a mini endurance test, maybe a couple hundred rounds. And it looks like... Oh, the snowplow is going by. So finally the snowplow is going by. We've gotten pummeled with snow. Uh, a couple days ago we got about 16, 17 inches. Then we just got another maybe five or so last night. So I've been waiting for the snowplow to go by to clear off my driveway. But uh, yeah, anyways, that's a good question. Does it make sense for a new AR owner to have a professional, whatever that means, mount and zero the sights, or does it make sense to have an AR newbie? Uh, if you feel comfortable with it, it's not hard to do, and I am gonna make a, a video on how to mount a scope, how to zero a scope, because that kind of ties into one of your other questions. But otherwise, it doesn't hurt, but the reality is uh, you have to make sure that that armor is qualified to do the work, because sadly, there are a lot of people out there, gunsmiths who have very little training or they're just the shop kid at the gun counter, um, 
who don't understand what a torque wrench is, don't understand what thread locker is, and it definitely can kind of make for a suboptimal experience. So that's a good question as well. What are some of the good methods to learn how to locate where gunfire is coming in from inside the city? Uh, I believe you're in like the Chicago metro area. I'm in a small town, rural central Minnesota, so I'm not an expert to talk about this. We don't have skyscrapers. Um, where I come from, it's woods. So I, I don't feel like I would be an expert to comment on this, but uh, you know I know there is shot spotters and I know some of the cities have apps that can alert people to things like that. But otherwise I would say probably just your general hearing, but with the echoes and everything else, and we've even seen after action reviews of victims at you know shooting incidents where they said it was tough to discern where the gunfire was coming from because of the echoes and percussion and things like that. So that can be difficult. But like I said, not my area of expertise. So I am unfortunately gonna pass on this one. Uh, what are some methods to practice a concealed carry draw stroke when opposed? Um, clearing a garment, force on force, those are all excellent questions. And there are some great training classes out there. I don't do them. Uh, I kind of am staying focused on a few areas right now, but uh, there are some great ones that handle kind of hand to hand. Uh, I would also seek out maybe local uh, jujitsu or force on force instructions or whatever, because that hand to hand skills will be relevant to that or maybe coming up with a training partner to simulate some stuff obviously with an unloaded gun or a plastic gun cert gun whatever to try to simulate hey if i did have an attacker who isolated this arm or that arm or whatever how would i access this how would i clear that so uh, force on force training is the best and there are some good classes out there uh, again maybe that's another topic but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a good thing to practice on. If you're carrying a firearm, either on duty or concealed, force retention, things like that, practicing your concealed draw stroke, all under situations should definitely be something you should be training with. Uh, another question from Kevin is the prone position. It's basically only taught as the belly flop where the stomach's flat and the heels evenly splayed. Uh, what can be done to help understand the purpose for the bent knee prone position? Uh, a shooting position video has actually been on my list for a while where I kind of break down, you know, shooting from prone, modified prone, an urban prone, maybe shooting from a, a sitting, modified sitting, a kneeling, modified kneeling, and then some standing with support, things like that. So that might be its own video once I get a little warmer weather and I can head back out to the range. But basically what he's referring to is that oftentimes uh, prone is taught as this almost kind of precise or precision based position where everything is kind of perfect but when you're wearing body armor and a duty belt and you have real earth and obstacles it doesn't always work that way so some instructors good instructors i've been to classes and i talk about it as well will also bring in what happens when you bend your knee to alleviate some pressure make things a little more comfortable make things a little more stable uh, the reality is the reason why you'd be going into prone is to either take cover you want to make yourself smaller lower or you want to add stability and so long as you can do that you don't always have to have a perfect position now when i'm shooting precision rifle and i want to make sure i as stable and consistent as possible yes do i really want to make sure i line up that perfect prone position like if i'm at a match or something absolutely sometimes when you're on the clock you don't always have that option and sometimes when i've been on a perimeter or something like that you get what you get as far as the terrain so i think that's a good question that probably should be another one uh this last one Oh, I'm sorry, two more from Kevin. Uh, torque angle, what can be done? I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I try to stress torque angle. And what his question is talking about is that when you have a torque wrench and then like usually an adapter for like a barrel nut or castle nut or something like that, most manuals show just extending that wrench out making the torque wrench in essence longer and that's actually incorrect you will have more leverage thus the torque will actually be a little higher what we need to do properly is what's to have what's called torque angle is to put the wrench or adapter or crow foot whatever at a 90 degree angle 
in alignment with the torque wrench. I'll show a couple of pictures on the screen, and that is going to give you proper torque angle. There was a, uh, I believe it was like a Ford technical bulletin that actually showed the conversion of like what happens when you have the wrench here and if it's so long from the pivot point of the torque, you know, whatever, it's going to multiply this angle or this and this gave you a higher torque value. Uh, if it's here, it doesn't. So that was a good resource. I'll try to find that as well. But torque angle is a real thing. In all my videos, I try to demonstrate good torque angle on my install videos, things like that. And then last, what are some effective ways to teach the need to use green lasers, green lasers and bore sights when attempting to bore sight a red dot because of the anti-reflection coating? Here's the thing, might be against popular opinion, I don't own a laser bore sighter, I have zero interest in owning a laser bore sighter, and I do not use laser bore sighters. Uh, I don't think they're needed. Um, I, I think it's just a time waster for me. I've never had a gun not on paper at 25 yards. So here's what I do. I mount my scope, mount my red dot. I get in somewhat of a, a controlled stance, steady rest, whatever. I shoot one round. And then depending on the scope or reticle, I measure. And then I adjust that point of aim to point of impact at 25 yards. And that puts me very close on paper at either 50 or 100. And obviously you can do a little bit of math for the offset. But I, I just shoot one round at 25 yards. I've never had a gun not hit on 25 yards. And uh, sometimes what I'll do is I'll also, you know, like when I'm mounting it, I'll have the barrel in the vise. And then I'll look down it, have a reference point, and I'll kind of rough adjust there. So I'll do like a visual bore sight. But again, never had a gun not on paper at 25 yards. I always have access to 25 yards at a range. That's what I do. I don't bother wasting it with bore sighters. It's one less thing for me to bring with to the range. It's one less thing to forget. It's one less thing to have to replace batteries in. I don't need it. I don't use them. That's my spiel. So hopefully that makes sense. This one is from Greg. He has a Walther PPQ, like to pick up an outside the waistband holster, but also wants to add a red dot. Any suggestions? Uh, QVO Tactical would probably be a really good choice. Weber Tactical, both of those make really good quality Kydex stuff. Roger over at QVO Tactical is a good dude. I haven't met him in person. I've chatted a little bit offline and I've seen his videos and uh, his products are awesome. I'm actually gonna be ordering some of his holsters myself, but he makes good holsters. Uh, Weber Tactical makes good holsters, but it's more of like that outside style. Uh, the Safari Land, I believe it's the 578, which is like their universal holster, might accommodate a red dot for that, but that would work. It's not light bearing. Uh, otherwise, there are several other Kydex companies out there that you could start to do some research on, but those would be what I would look at. This one is from Quentin, longtime uh, regular caller. I appreciate it. What is your opinion on open sights on a handgun with a red dot? Handguns for home defense, concealed carry. Do you need open sights or backup sights? And if do if if so, do they need to be suppressor height? Uh, yes. So one of the things we're going to talk about in a future video is this whole co-witness thing, because it's not co-witness. I I don't like that term when it comes to pistol red dots because we're not co-witnessing. Our sights are two different systems: red dot versus iron sight. Here's my opinion. There was a Recoil Magazine article that came out that was published online that said, you know, backup sites are useless. I, I can't disagree with the majority of the article because it's not wrong. When the site gets obstructed, that's also going to obstruct the site picture. So you're not going to be able to see your sights through a mud-covered optic, for example. If you have your rear sight behind the optic, the front sight in front of the optic, if that's covered with mud or whatever, yes, you're not. So in my classes, I also teach alternate shooting methods, whether that's point shooting, whether that's indexing, whether that's using a gross sight picture or an alternate sighting method on the gun. You do need to have alternate sighting methods. That's just a reality. Now, are they required? In my opinion, they are. They're cheap, they're lightweight, they don't take up room, and you already have a dovetail there. 
you definitely should have a backup site. What if you have a battery failure? What if you have a glare failure? What if there's a low light issue, washout, whatever it might be, having those iron sights, in my opinion, is just a cheap thing. Like I said, I will be doing a future video on this whole topic and I, I'll share kind of my opinions and thoughts on it. Uh, this one is from Ray. How did I drill the machine to mount your bracket for the Switch Pro? I'm trying to do the same. Uh, I'll throw a little bit of B-roll, but basically I cut out where the warning label was. I made my own panel and then I mounted the Switch Pro to that. And then I also made a bracket that went inside, but I did, I believe, cover that in my UTV series videos. You can check out that playlist, but I will show a couple of clips if I can find them. Otherwise, um, if you still have any questions whatever, I can try to get with you and maybe have a quick phone call and kind of go over it with you. And this other one, uh, following up on that is currently scratching my head on the best way to wire up my rear chase bar using my Switch Pro on my Can-Am. I want to use turn signals, brake lights. Did you wire running lights, turn signals through the Switch Pro? I'm lost. It's not... Um, you know, there's triggers and things like that. Uh, the tech support at Switch Pros would probably be really helpful for you. Uh, however, I did not do tail lights and brake lights through the Switch Pro. I use that as a trigger. Uh, trigger basically is an input. So when you have that wire and it detects 12 voltage, it tells the Switch Pro as a trigger. So what I did was when the brake light would activate it, I tied into the factory brake light wire. It would tell the Switch Pro to activate, and then that could activate whatever I wanted it to. As far as the turn signals, I had it programmed in a blinking function. Um, but my rear bar basically had different wires. So when this one was positive, it would turn on this part. And when this part was positive, it would turn on that part. That might be the best for directions on how to programming it. The programming app is a little clunky in my opinion. So it, uh, it definitely was not the easiest. But as far as high-low outputs, uh, the Switch Pro basically had an on, on, off setting. So you could have, you know, like this button, when you press it once, it turns power output one on, press it again, it turns power output two on, press it again, it turns them off. It unfortunately did not have like a split voltage where it would do like six volts for like a lower running light and then 12 volts for full power. It did not have that as far as I'm aware. Uh, and as far as a wiring diagram, I did kind of talk a little bit about my wiring and it's not, it's a crude sketch in my wiring video. So make sure you check out those videos. I have one on wiring and one on the Switch Pro itself. So hopefully that helps. And then uh, last question is from Ryan. What process or method do you use when selecting the right ammo load for your specific rifle? Just finishing a build for 300 blackout and wanting to get the right ammo. Uh, pick out your needs. Obviously, if you're just looking for training or practice, you're probably looking more at you know economic-based ammunition. However, if you're looking for hunting or defense, you want to find something that generally has been a proven performer. So First, you have to figure out with the 300 if you want subsonic or supersonic, but let's just say it was 223 or 308 or whatever. You're going to want to find something that has a bullet that performs to the task that you have in mind, whether that's hunting, home defense, duty use, whatever. So if you have a duty or hunting rifle, you're not going to want a full metal jacket. You're going to want to find either a ballistic tip round, a soft tip round, some sort of a hunting optimized bullet or round. And then what I do is I figure out kind of a few contenders. I'll pick up a box of each and I'll generally shoot them through to make sure it runs and cycles properly, suppressed, unsuppressed, whatever. And then also it shoots accuracy at a reasonable expectation. Uh, I apologize if you can hear the kids. It's Christmas break. So this is just what happens when uh, Christmas break happens and I have kids running around and everything else. And of course I have dog toys and stuff too. So the joys, the joys. But that's what I would do looking for ammo. Uh, that is gonna do it for questions. Now let's go ahead and give away our prize. Let's go to our random number generator. And also 
I'm gonna put the rules up on the screen. Please check those out if you have already won recently. Uh, you can't repeat and also make sure you check your email. And if I forget, please send me an email. I think I've gotten all of the prizes and stuff out. I had We had some email server issues where we were switching servers and stuff. So if I did not get you a prize from a previous episode, please send me an email with your address following up, telling me what you won and where to send it. I think I have a couple of things left that I believe we've sent out emails, but um, we're gonna try to get better and more organized with the email stuff. So if I missed you, I sincerely do apologize. Send me an email. All right, let's generate our random number and random number generator is number 10. That is gonna be from Ryan on Ammo Selection. So Ryan, we're gonna be in touch with you to get you your prize. Again, as always, if you have any questions, please send them to the email address shown below that is the QA at gunsandtactics.com. Otherwise, you can leave a comment in the comment section. Please use that hashtag, the QA, so it just makes it a little bit easier for me to find those comments. Hope you guys found this helpful. Again, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you very much for watching, and have a great day. We work really hard to make content that we hope you as a shooter would enjoy. Subscribe to our channel, check out our featured videos and playlists, and if you have a question firearms related, go ahead and send an email to the address shown on the screen to be entered into our monthly QA series.